Independentleft.news. Indie. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie. I get news from Independent Left. Independentleft.news. Independentleft.news. Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie Left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media. Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie Left News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie. Indie Left News. Subscribe to Indie News Network. We're world building. Your, your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. Independentleft.news. Independentleftnews. I'm a huge fan. He created INN. The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indy is the founder of Indie News Network. Thank you, Independentleft.news. A huge thank you and shout out to Indy Left. Everyone, check out Indy Left News. Hey, Indy Left. Independentleft.news. Indy. Indy. Hi, Indy. Indy Left. Indy Left News. Indy News. Independent Media. Independentleftnews has done an amazing job. Well, hi everybody. It's it's Sunday night. Hi everybody. It is. Uh, how do we miss that? I got. This is Indy, as you probably can figure out from the little thing that's bouncing around my mouth. And if you're on the podcast, hi everybody. This is Indy, and uh, I got this guy sitting next to me. His his name's Reef. Um, hi everybody. everybody. Oh, he's he's soft. He's mild mannered Reef tonight. Apparently, um, <laughs> I'm robotic. Everybody, uh, <laughs> like Warren has been a streaming monster all weekend long. Uh, shout out to Uncle Warren. Uh, I'm sure he'll be in the chat soon. We've got family already here. <clears throat> we got a bunch of stories. I'm fired up. I am ready to go. Um, I don't know what else is what else to say other than to get started, uh, which is to welcome everybody to How Do We Miss That? And how do we miss that? Is a show and podcast. Yes, we are a podcast too, and we're now up to date. By the way, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. We're streaming live on Rockfin and YouTube and Twitch. We're live on Rumble and Facebook and Twitter and Odyssey and Telegram. And guess what? We're also live at IndieLeft.News. If you go there, we're actually streaming at the top of the, the site. It's pretty badass. Sunday nights, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. That's right now. Available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And like I was saying, on, on Spotify, um, we now can upload video. And I've made the last four versions into a video version of the podcast. So it doesn't have boats. Uh, and it eliminates the 10 or 15 minutes of music that we play beforehand. And it's just a cut-down version of the, the news stories. And that way, the audio goes out to all the other podcast platforms. But it's still a video version, which you can actually watch on Spotify, which is really cool. Um, and it actually picks a video up in the newsletter, which I like even better. So how do we miss that? It's hosted by me. I'm Indy. I'm the founder and letter and, and editor of Independent Left News and Indie Media Today, which is our Substack. And then I got this guy again, Reef Breland. He's INN's technical director, and he's the founder of of INN News and the host of Reefer After Dark, both the channel and the show, which is Friday nights when when he goes live with that. Um, we're both founding members of Indie News Network. You see somewhere the INN spinning with the in the middle of the O and the how do we miss that? Okay, that's a collaborative family of 23 independent content creators. When we actually talk to all of them, some of them are on break right now. Shout out to all my INN family. Uh, all the stories were featured in independentleft.news this week between Sunday and Friday. So I scraped a bunch of them. Again, there's tons of stories. It's impossible to keep up with this fire hose of developing news all week long. These are just four of the stories out of the hundreds that we can cover. Uh, please make sure to share this link, like the stream, subscribe to our channel, all the platforms where you watch and listen. We're literally everywhere. And 
definitely want to always say thank you to the volunteers and the people who make the show possible, which is Big Bad Crab, who does all of our uh, thumbnails, and he's our creative director. And we've got Jimmy, who made that amazing trailer. And Jimmy, uh, J uh, Jimmy Saves World on Twitter and Image I M I J Productions. Follow her on Twitter and Twitch as well. She's uh, she's doing some live streaming, and she's got a new show called What. And she's also a Rockfin now. So congratulations to Jimmy and Rockfin. Uh, Phantomos Phanto does all of our editing, video editor. Fred Edward and Chris Gilman on the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Instagram, sharing out there, making sure that everybody's out there. And today and this weekend, Fred Edward's been a absolute hero um, with the RBN Summit and sharing out all the different panels and tagging people. I mean, that's that's MVP level stuff. Uh, that, that That's huge. And I'm sure they love it. And I certainly appreciate it. Again, <clears throat> we talked about the podcast of this stream, which is available free to download on all your podcast platforms, anchor.fm slash independent left news. Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify also has the video version. Search for How Did We Miss That? Subscribe. Leave us five-star rating. That'd be badass. Thank you so much. Uh, hi to everybody in the chat. Get, looks like we got some nice, uh, a nice crowd already here. Rockfin.com slash IND left news. Everybody can hang out over there too. Ad free. Please go check out rockfin.com slash IND left news. Support our channel over there. We're getting close to 2,500 followers on Rockfin already. That is a growing platform. It's actually bigger than our YouTube platform. And when we're going to go live, I'm actually going to be able to put the Rockfin chat up too. So if you're over there, that's great. Nikki. Hi, everybody. Kelly. Gira, Rick, Warren, there's Warren in the chat. <gasps> What's up, fam? How you doing, Raw Warren? I think the chat's gonna look right, so let's get over to it now. Warren, you can uh, go, Warren. Reef, you can see my screen. No, uh, yes, I can. Good. Hey, okay, good. Chat looks good. Like to see that. We probably should mess with Nightbot at some point. I gotta, I gotta get into Nightbot. All right, so we got. Our kick-ass little thumbnail, not little thumbnail. But... I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get it a nightbot. Write that down. Yeah, write that down. Write that down. I feel like Van Wilder now. Okay, so we're getting into the, our awesome thumbnail. We got five stories. Ticketmaster getting away with it, and so Crab set me up with a bunch of layouts, and I filled it in and laid it out even more. Moved some stuff around. It's like, okay, here we go. So first story is going to be, wait, sedition? Yes, sedition. Literally, they're talking about sedition. What 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 are we talking about here? So uh, hey, apparently, this is a family show. Yeah, the, the, the word sedition, right? So all of us are in danger when anti-government speech becomes sedition, and that's what I wanted to talk about here. This is in Off Guardian, which is an outstanding publication. John Nisha Whitehead, in this case, Kit Kit Knightley. They've done a lot of great work. So big fan of theirs. Support them. Censorship. Okay. And they, they quote Lenny Bruce, and this is this is kind of a long, but again, this is all about government censorship and what can we do and what's happening here. And this is they, they go back to Lenny Bruce. If you can't say fuck, you can't say fuck the government, right? And they'll come back to this later. That anti-government speech has become a four-letter word right? in more and more cases. And there, this is a lot of also in the UK. The government is declaring war on what should be protected political speech wherever it challenges the government's power, there's government's corruption exposes the government's lies, and encourages citizenry to push back against the government's many injustices. Yep. Right? Indeed, there's a long and growing list of the kinds of speech the government considers dangerous enough to red flag, 
and subject to censorship, surveillance, investigation, prosecution. Hate speech, conspiratorial speech, treasonous speech, threatening speech, inflammatory speech, radical speech, anti-government speech, extremist speech, etc. Hi, Carl. Now we've got our FBI handler listening. Thanks. Things are about to get even dicier for those who believe in fully exercising their right to political expression. We know this, right? Indeed, the government's seditious conspiracy charges against Stuart Rhodes, founder of the Oath Keepers, and several of his associates for their alleged involvement in the January 6th Capitol riots puts the entire concept of anti-government political expression on trial. Interesting. We're not supporters of the Oath Keepers and what they did on January 6th. I want to make that clear right here. Right. I'm not a fan, I'm not a fan, but I understand. And they were also led and stalked and it's a whole thing, but it, it was not a thing, it's a riot and enacted during the Civil War to prosecute secessionists. Seditious conspiracy makes it a crime for two or more individuals to conspire to quote overthrow, put down, or destroy by force the US government, or to levy war against it, or to oppose by force and try to prevent the execution of any law. Unquote. It's a hard charge to prove, and the government's track record hasn't been the greatest. And there's links showing how and why. So it's been almost a decade since the government tried to make a seditious conspiracy charge stick against a small Christian militia accused of plotting to kill a police officer and attack attendees at his funeral in order to start a civil war, and it lost the case. Damn. Yep. Although the government was able to show that Pewtery had strong anti-government views. The judge ruled in U.S. v. Stone that, quote, offensive speech and a conspiracy to do something other than forcibly resist a positive show of authority by the federal government is not enough to sustain a charge of seditious conspiracy. Whether or not prosecutors are able to... Right, but, well, whether or not prosecutors are able to prove their case that Rhodes and his followers intended to actually overthrow the government the blowback will be felt far and wide by anyone whose political views can be labeled anti-government. All of us are in danger. What? Yeah. In recent years, the government has used the phrase domestic terrorists interchangeably with anti-government, extremist, and terrorist to describe anyone who might fall somewhere on a very broad spectrum of viewpoints that could be considered, quote, dangerous. This is where it gets into us. The ramifications are so far-reaching as to render almost every American with an opinion about the government who knows someone with an opinion about the government an extremist in a word, deed, thought, or by association. Yep. Hmm. You see, government doesn't care if you or someone you know has a legitimate grievance. It doesn't care if your criticisms are well-founded. And it certainly doesn't care if you have a First Amendment right to speak truth to power. What the government cares about is whether what you're thinking or speaking or sharing or consuming as information has the potential to challenge its stranglehold to power. Why else would FBI, CIA, NSA, and other government agencies be investing in corporate surveillance technologies that can mine constitutionally protected speech on social media platforms such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram? Right? According to the Department of Homeland Security's Terrorism Bulletin, Threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord, we know this, and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. 
Okay. By the government's own definition, America's founders would be considered domestic extremists for the heavily charged rhetoric that they used to birth this nation. Great. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin would certainly be placed on a terrorist watch list for suggesting that Americans should not only take arms, but should be prepared to shed blood in order to protect their liberties. Quote. Mm -hmm. And now we're going we're gonna to get into the Founding Fathers. Thomas Jefferson. What country can preserve its liberties if their rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. That's a very famous, of course, quote. Observe Ben Franklin, quote, Democracy is two wolves with a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Oh. Okay. Thomas Paine, Marquis de, de Lafayette, John Adams, and Patrick Henry would certainly be labeled domestic extremists for exhorting Americans to defend themselves against the government if it violates their rights. Quote, it is the duty of the patriot to protect his country from its government, insisted Thomas Paine. When the government violates people's rights, Lafayette warned, insurrection is for the people and each for each portion of the people the most sacred of the rights and the most indispensable of duties. Again, I'm not advocating insurrection. However, I understand. And again, pointing out that the, fa that the founding fathers would have agreed. John Adams cautioned, a settled plan to deprive the people of all the benefits, blessings, and ends of the contract, subvert the fundamentals of the Constitution, to deprive them of all share in making and executing laws, will justify a revolution. And somebody was saying that we were not advocates advocates for revolution this week. Um, I'm certainly not an advocate for violent revolution. I don't want to see that happen. I don't necessarily know of any other. Either. I don't necessarily know I'm of any other way either. that it happens other than that. But I'm not really a fan or a supporter no, I would of that. Never. Okay. I would never. And who can forget Patrick Henry with his ultimatum? Give me liberty or give me death. Conduct your own experiment into the government's tolerance of speech that challenges its authority and go see for yourself. Stand on a street corner or in a courtroom, at a city council meeting or on a university campus and try denouncing the government with some of the founders' rhetoric. <laughs> oh boy, that would not go very well. Right? My guess is that you wouldn't last long before you get thrown out, shut up, threatened with arrest, or at the very least, accused of being a radical, a troublemaker, a sovereign citizen, a conspiratorialist, or an extremist. Or maybe you'll just get fined. It's happening all across the country. Yeah, true. Really happening. Yep. In Punta Gorda, in Punta Gorda Florida, for, example, for instance, two political activists were fined $3,000 for displaying protest flags with political messages that violated the city's ordinance, banning signs, clothing, and other graphic displays containing words that the city deems indecent. What did they say? Florida's always been bad with indecency. Yep. Coming to the defense of the two activists, the Rutherford Institute challenged the city of Punta Gorda's ban on indecent speech as unconstitutionally vague 
and a violation of the First Amendment safeguards for political speech that may not be censored or punished by the government. Hmm. We won the first round with the Charlotte County Circuit ruling against the city, noting that the ordinance was designed to cause the preemptive self-silencing of speakers whose messages are entitled to constitutional protection. Okay, that's a good thing. In other words, as the court recognized, the ordinance was clearly designed to chill political speech, which is protected on the First Amendment. You see, the right of political free speech is the basis of all liberty. Sure. No matter what one's political persuasion might be, every American has a First Amendment right to protest government programs or policies with which they might disagree. The right to disagree with and speak out against government is the quintessential freedom. Agreed. Every individual has a right to speak truth to power using every nonviolent means available. This is why the First Amendment is so critical. It gives citizenry the right to speak freely, protest peacefully, expose government wrongdoing, and criticize the government without fear of reprisal. Right? Sounds basic enough. Americans of all stripes would do well to remember that those who question the motives of government provide a necessary counterpoint to those who would blindly follow where politicians choose to lead. Thank you very much. We, choose, we don't have to agree with every criticism of the government, but we must defend the rights of all individuals to speak freely without fear of punishment or threat of banishment. Including a former president, by the way, even though I don't agree with what he's saying or don't like him. This is how freedom rises or falls. So again, as Lenny Bruce said, a lifelong champion of free speech, if you can't say fuck, you can't say fuck the government. Lenny Bruce, who of course was a foul-mouthed, insightful, irreverent, and incredibly funny comedian, was one of the First Amendment's greatest champions who dared to speak the unspeakable about race, religion, sexuality, and politics. We should have had a little Lenny Bruce quote, but I was afraid, a little clip, but I was afraid to get the MCA clip. As a Village Voice writer, Matt Hentoff attests, Lenny Bruce was not only a paladin of free speech, but also a still-penetrating, woundingly hilarious speaker of truth to the powerful and the complacent. He sure was. He made people uncomfortable. He died in 1966, but not before being convicted of alleged obscenity for challenging his audience's covert prejudices by brandishing unmentionable words that, if uttered today, would not only get you ostracized, but could get you arrested and charged with a hate crime. Mm -hmm. Hentoff, who testified in Bruce's defense at his trial, recounts that Lenny used to say, "What I wanted to, what I wanted people to dig is the lie. Certain words were suppressed to keep the lie going, but if you do them, you should be able to say the words." <laughs> not much has changed in the fifty-plus years since Bruce died. In fact, it's gotten worse. What we're dealing with today is a government that wants to suppress dangerous words. Words about its warring empire. Words about its land grabs. Words about its militarized police. Words about its killing, its poisoning, and its corruption, read Julian Assange, in order to keep its lies going. What we are witnessing is a nation undergoing a nervous breakdown over this growing tension between our increasingly untenable reality and the lies being perpetrated by a government that has grown too power-hungry, egotistical, militaristic, 
and disconnected from its revolutionary birthright, quote-unquote. And the only therapy is the truth, and nothing but the truth. If the government censors get their way, there will be no more First Amendment. There will be no more Bill of Rights. And as John and Nisha points out in their book, Battlefield America, The War on American People, and its fictional counterpart, The Eric Blair Diaries, there will be no more freedom in America as we have known it. And a lot of people say that there probably hasn't been for a long time anyway, and that's all an illusion anyway. And they may be right, mm -hmm. but really, they're working on even more censorship, and we've seen it. And again, I had someone at a trade show last week ask me about, they're really censoring the left? Yes, they are really censoring the left, too. 100%. Um, censoring first. Well, I, I think it started with Alex Jones, and he's not really on the left. Mm -hmm. um, right. And, and then they started coming for, uh, who was the one? Owen Benjamin. They started coming for him yep. and knocking him off. They started coming for a lot of people. And then it just became anyone that gets mass reported on Twitter. That looks yummy. What are we eating for dinner here? We're finishing? Um, chicken fried rice. Nice. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we have another story here. And I think you saw the thumbnail already. I previewed it. And this is cool because not only did Prab hook me up with one thumbnail, but he hooked me up with the basis to be able to do all the thumbnails. Or all of the yes, and they even shit lips censor shit lips sometimes too. Bad crab, big mad crab, in the chat, going up with the MVP. What up, dude? Shout out to Crab for all these kick ass thumbnails, for all these looks and feels. Check this one out, and I I added to it and enhanced it, and now we've got Albany, New York workers voted no. Yes, yes, they voted no, and we're gonna figure out what the. What happened here? Why? And what's going on? And this is the only... Um, I mean, Chris Smalls. Hey, hey, man. This is the only... I, I read it wrong. ...story this week that features an Indie Media Award winner, and it's a double Indie Media Award winner, as it's both Brett Wilkins, who won for writing, and Common Dreams, who won for Best Outlet, or one of the Best Outlets, Top Outlets. Hmm. Of course, following a brutal union-busting campaign, Albany Amazon workers reject unionization. And Chris's quote is that the voting process wasn't free and fair. It was a sham election in which workers were subjected to intimidation and retaliation on a daily basis. And I think we're going to see some examples here of, of what he's talking about. So, there's our ALU president, you know, and he's standing outside the fulfillment center outside was it Shodak, New York, and that's the fulfillment center that was voting. Vote yes. Amazon Labor Union again said Tuesday that it will appeal the results of an unsuccessful vote to unionize workers at the e-commerce giant's warehouse near Albany, New York, an election that labor advocates said was marred by a months-long union-busting effort by company management. Sounds a little bit like what happened in Bessemer. Workers at Amazon's 1 million square foot Shodak Fulfillment Center rejected unionization by a nearly 2 to 1 margin, 406 to 206, after an aggressive push by company executives to thwart organizers. Quote, 
We had faced a lot of adversity over the last couple of weeks, and that's Heather Goodall, who I'm hoping to be able to speak with soon. She works at the warehouse, um, according to the Albany Times Union. We're going ahead and remain strong. We're going to go forward. So instead of requesting a new election, ALU will ask the NLRB to issue a direct bargaining offer. <clears throat> That's interesting. What does that mean? According to More Perfect Union, of course, Amazon has been waging a brutal union-busting campaign for months, firing union supporters, calling police on organizers, and more. And of course, we have record of that. More Perfect Union, again, that Amazon denied employees' representation during dubious disciplinary proceedings. They threatened workers. They called police on organizers on five separate occasions, and they subjected workers to anti-union pressure and lies. And here is the Perfect Union tweet announcing what we basically talked about just now. Okay, and again, here's Chris Smalls. that He lamented the vote. Today, everyone involved with ALU is filled with mixed emotions. We're proud of the brave workers in upstate New York who stood in the face of a vicious anti-union campaign to challenge a trillion-dollar corporation. Agreed. He said, we're also feeling both anger and disappointment that the voting process wasn't free and fair. Again, it was a sham election with which workers were subject to intimidation and retaliation on a daily basis, and even workers who volunteered to be election observers were faced with threats of termination. Faced with increased worker organizing, including the establishment of the ALU and the first ever work stoppage at the company's air freight division in August, Amazon has fired organizers and unsuccessfully petitioned the NLRB to overturn the ALU's victory. They don't want to acknowledge the union. We know this. Yeah. Right? So here's... Another tweet from Perfect Union from last week about them targeting supporters, union supporters with disabilities and illnesses, firing them en masse. And there's a story about Jordan Flowers, and he's out of the JFK 8, and now he needs dialysis and will, will require a kidney transplant and lost his health insurance. Uh, Chris Smalls is doing all he can, but he's over his head and he's he needs help. A lot of it. And I don't know if he's getting it. So instead, the NLRB again said earlier this year that the company violated federal labor laws by intimidating and threatening Amazon workers who tried to unionize. Yeah, we know. The board also found in 2021 that the company broke labor laws during a unionization and drive at a warehouse in Bessemer, which we talked about for quite a bit. Um, Tuesday's Shodak vote bucks a national trend of labor organizing, of course, across the United States, defying corporate union busting. Workers, again, at more than 200 U.S. Starbucks locations, and we know of employees at Amy's Kitchen and Apple. Of course, Amy's Kitchen shut down the whole company. Apple and Chipotle, HelloFresh and Trader Joe's have moved to unionize, as have minor league baseball players. But what they're not telling you is that Chipotle is looking to shut down stores. And Trader Joe's is looking to shut down stores. And it's it's definitely a workers versus bosses situation right now. Um, and what happened? I mean, again, tons of union busting and propaganda and pulling people into meetings and threatening them and not offering benefits, for example, when 
you know, equal benefits or equal pay for unionized shops and warehouses as those that are non-unionized. Claiming that, of course, they need to negotiate a contract with that union in order to give them the same equal raise. But they won't negotiate or sit down with that union in order to do that. <laughs> nice little, uh, you know, nice little catch-22 there. So, on top of that, Amazon's having some issues because they had a walkout on Prime Day. What? Yeah, this wasn't covered anywhere. I, I didn't hear this covered. But Luis Feliz Leon over at Labor Notes did. Prime Week walkouts hit Amazon from AirHub to Delivery Station. I didn't even know they're doing Prime. Again, I'm not an Amazon consumer. My wife, my wife, she too often hits that button and she's got the app on her phone. I need to delete it. Um, it's convenient. It's too easy. And it's not good. But at the same time, they're also one of the largest employers in the country. So you are supporting workers by buying stuff from Amazon, unfortunately. You're also supporting a race to the bottom. Not necessarily that the company exists. It's the fact that the company is shitty. Like, well, you know. What company isn't shitty like at that level? A living wage. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. But, like, that doesn't mean, like, like, the service is great. It just needs to be fucking regulated and, like. Well, part of the service is great. But what yeah. they also do is they buy their way into an industry buy up all the competitors, yep. race their way to the bottom, mm. jack up the prices, ruin the service. Look what, look. it's going to happen with iRobot too. It's happening with everything. Yep. So, yep. again, we've got Prime Week walkouts hitting Amazon. Woohoo! Okay, here we go. Boom, let's bring it. All right, good job, Luis. Thank you for bringing this. Amazon Swift Delivery Network takes a million people to run. During Prime Week... Workers took aim at disrupting the symphony of human capital with walkouts at four distinct warehouse types in its logistics chain, including one of its large air hubs in Southern California. Hmm. Check to see if my mic's on. I hear you. It says your mic's on. Yeah, but okay. Can they not hear you? Are you are you mute? Are you low? I don't know. Mad Crab said I had no mic, but Mad Crab says you have no mic. I, I see that Discord Zoom is moving and it turns on and it and should what be about in OBS. Yeah, no, I'm looking at it that it's moving when it's moving when you're talking. Okay, anyway, Amazon's vast distribution network is staggering. There's the invisible lacework of surveillance alg algorithms and AI. Um, anybody tell me if they can't hear Reef besides Crab. There are visible footprints, trucks, robots, hulking warehouses. And then there are, of course, the workers. It takes more than a million people, most of them low-paid and grindingly exploited, to pick, sort, unload, ship, deliver packages to customers' doors within days of an order. Sure it does. They just said, turn me up in Discord, probably. Would work. They just said, I'm quiet. Okay, do. <clears throat> oh, now you're blowing out my eardrums. Holy moly. Ah. Well, okay. turn your headphones down. No, it's not my headphones. It's that I had I turned you up because I saw that you were hitting yellow. How about now? Talk. Yeah. Testing, Ooh. testing. One, two. Well, I think you're going to be louder than me now. Okay. Now you're leveling out. Um, right? That's better. Holy moly. Sure. All right. Yep. You All right. Just turn your headphones down. That's but what yes. I'm doing. Yes, I'm doing that now. 
Okay. Kelly says yeah. can barely hear Reef. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, think it's, how, I think it's good. Crab said it's good. I think we're good now. Okay. Last week, workers took aim at disrupting the symphony of human capital, like I said, with walkouts at four distinct warehouses, a cross dock near Chicago, a delivery station and fulfillment center near Atlanta, and in SoCal, one of the largest companies' largest air hubs. The walkouts weren't centrally coordinated, but they all were timed to coincide with Prime Day promotional sales rush, which ran October 10th through 12th. 12th. Yep. Now, there was massive resistance to them even adding a second Prime Day. There was no, like, discussion or what are they going to do for the employees. Across these facilities, workers say they're overworked, underpaid, squeezed by rising inflation, and terrible conditions. We know all this. But think of each strike as a small test. Speed is Amazon's brand, and its massive warehouse and its logistics chain is designed to move goods fast. Any interruption or delay gives workers leverage. This is right. Yep. So, how do you get a handmade item delivered from a small business in rural Connecticut to a customer in Los Angeles? That's an Amazon press release last year promoting the new Air Hub in San Bernardino. Quote, in a straight line across the sky, thanks to Amazon Air and its thousands of incredible employees. Yep, who they don't take care of. Those incredible employees are now part of a group called Inland Empire Amazon Workers United, supported by the Teamsters and the Warehouse Workers Teamsters. Resource Center. Yes. Uh, yay, corporate union. Woo. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um. 100 day and night shift workers at the Air Hub, one of more than a dozen hubs nationally, walked out on October 14th after the company failed to meet their demands to boost pay to $22 hourly, improve health and safety standards in sweltering hot working conditions, and to put an end to retaliation. <laughs> Good luck. Meanwhile, in Joliet, near Chicago, 50 workers at the Crosstalk facility, MDW2, had walked off the job on October 11th, demanding stronger health and safety policies and a wage hike to $25 an hour. Interesting that this is all happening without being coordinated. A crosstalk yeah. facility, just to explain, is a central hub where products are sorted and distributed to regional fulfillment centers without being racked or stored. The one in Joliet employs between 1,000 and 2,000 workers, depending on seasonal hiring peaks. Okay. The next day, mm -hmm. a dozen workers walked out at ATL2, which is in Stone Mountain, Georgia. That's a fulfillment center to protest unfair labor practice violations, unsafe working conditions, and low pay also. Okay, so fulfillment centers there are where customer orders are stored, picked, packed, and shipped. That's where Matt worked at the Campbellsville, Kentucky one as well. And, of course, at the delivery station in Buford, Georgia, DGE9, workers walked out on October 11th and 12th. A dozen people the first day, two dozen the next, protesting Amazon's failure to meet the demands they had made in a summer petition, which is 24 hours of paid time off and an $18 base wage. Not unreasonable, especially considering the inflation that's happening right now. Delivery yeah. stations are the final stop in the company's logistics chain. They're essential to Amazon's promise of speedy same-day to two-day prime delivery. So here's another situation where you have rainbows dimmed. Right, so Alfonso Rodriguez remembers feeling welcome when he started at the San Bernardino Air Hub in June of 2021, walking into a workplace adorned with rainbows for Pride Month. 
But of course, the Ooh. rainbows and Anthony Malecki, our, our our friend, he, he can attest to stuff like this. The rainbows, of course, soon dimmed as he got to know the working conditions. Yeesh. It was a sweltering summer. Workers recorded 96 degree heat inside cargo planes and tractor trailers while temperatures on the tarmac shot up to 110. Rodriguez is yep. a learning ambassador and he's charged with training new hires. But by November, I no longer wanted to train people, he said, because it was too painful to watch his trainees buckle under the workload and suffer without water breaks during a record heat wave. Well, tell them to bring water. Guess what? I don't believe they're allowed to. Around the Christmas holidays, Amazon announced with little notice that the warehouse would be closed for two days, unexpectedly cutting workers' take-home pay. The holiday time. Of course. A petition, a petition against the closure kicked off the Air Hub's first organizing campaign. Anna Ortega, she was on track to become a process assistant, a role adjacent to management, when a co-worker approached her to sign the petition. She declined. Why? Because she was too scared to sign up at first. I thought they were going to get fired. None of them got fired. They actually got Amazon to implement a national policy change, giving workers advance notice of closures. That's good. So then she joined her coworkers in their next collective action, presenting a petition for a $5 wage increase. So soon she began wondering, hey, what if we unionize? I like her. What if? Just be thankful, right? This is what the bosses are saying. Workers yep. started building an organizing committee. They kept marching on the boss, and in July, they delivered an 800-signature petition. Management, of course, went on the offensive, bringing in anti-union consultants, like they do, the Pinkertons. In, in August, more than 150 workers walked off the job, according to the Washington Post, which we know Amazon, even though it said it was only 74. After the walkout, Amazon raised wages by 90 cents an hour on weekday night shifts, and 85 cents an hour on weekend nights. But workers had demanded $5. And now they were facing retaliation, surveillance, and another heat wave. Managers also started sending workers up on ladders into cross-belt conveyors to dislodge fallen packages, a job previously done by, nice. train, by train maintenance technicians. So now they're having them do skilled stuff, put themselves at further physical risk and harm for jobs they're not trained for and not paying them for the maintenance technician skills. There you go. Yep. Ortega says they Why were sending they? us up to these hot, tight, cramped spaces. It's hot. There's no ventilation. It's dark. The whole time that you're in there, you have to hot. crab, you have to crab walk, right? Big bad crab. Right. And Yay. after every other step, there's a beam directly above your head. We would come out dripping in sweat and panting. The warehouse feels dark now, she says, with union busters skulking in the shadows, far from the rainbow environment that once appealed to him. What Amazon is showing is predator-like behavior, he said. They follow a plan that has worked, come to these poor communities where people are told they should just be thankful, not ask for more. I've only been there a year, and that's how long it took, it took to figure out that this plan does not work out for the worker. It only works out. For Amazon. You moved your camera, by the way, when you did that. All right. How about that? Yes, that's that better. better. Airhub workers are strategically placed at a critical node in Amazon's distribution network, so that's really important. Uh, that's what critical node means. 
Yes, thank you, Captain Obvious. Yep. Amazon's the largest employer in Southern California and has more than 40 facilities in the state, according to the consulting firm MP, MWPVL International. 40 facilities in the state, largest employer in Southern California. Kind of important to know. Each day, Amazon operates 14 flights in and out of the sprawling air hub known as KSBD. It's part of the company's air freight division where Amazon branded planes and trucks transport packages to warehouses around across the country. Amazon Air operates at 42 airports within 100 miles of 70% of the U.S. population. The company is heavily investing in its business to consumer delivery, entering the third-party shipping sector. In April, it rolled out Buy with Amazon, which allows consumers to use their Prime memberships when selecting shipping options, even if they're buying stuff on a different platform than Amazon.com. Okay, I didn't realize that. I'm not using that because I'm not an Amazon customer. Mm -hmm. But in response to a slowdown in e-commerce, which has, again, left the company with excess capacity, Amazon is both freezing hiring and abandoning warehouse expansions. However, in the Inland Empire, it faces a different sort of challenge, which... I think we also talked about ONT8. According to a leaked internal research report, Amazon has burned through its workforce in the Enland Empire so fast that it fears it will run out of workers by the end of this year. We talked about that problem with Matt, that their, re that their hire rate is at 150% of the local population. They're literally hiring people back because they don't have enough workers. Here you go. Uh, you know, Rodriguez is saying, Amazon has hired everybody. I'm 35, but I consider myself one of the older people. I call myself an OG, an old gay. Uh, okay. I, I don't know what that yep. has to do with it, but okay. In September, Amazon, of course, announced that it would be spending a billion dollars to boost worker pay nationwide. Yay. Except that what's their revenues and what's their annual earnings and what it look, what, what that looked like for our warehouse we got a 50 cent raise, and that's Arturo Dame, who works at the delivery station in Beaufort, Georgia. We were asking for $3. <clears throat> During the peak season, they gave us a $3 bonus. So what we were asking was, let's make that bonus permanent. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yep. Again, that's 18 bucks. I didn't even get a quarter to put in the vending machine, is how Theometra Robinson at Stone Mountain Fulfillment Center described the raise. Yep. Amazon, here we go, raked in a net income of $33.6 billion last year. Now, that's net income. That's not net profit. Yep. That's net income on revenues of $469.8 billion. So net income is profit. And, of course, CEO Andy Jassy, we know, earned $212.7 million. Of course, with the pinky finger at your mouth, you have to do that. Yep. So what happened? After ALU won its historic victory at Staten Island, the Metro Robinson reached out to Teamsters Local 728 in Lakewood, Georgia. She says, I knew they represented UPS workers. They were the top union in the country. That's bargaining power for us. Well, sort of. Robinson had started at ATL2 in May 2021. She rose quickly through the ranks, becoming a process assistant within months. Things were on the upswing until she got a written warning after cursing out a worker who physically assaulted her. Nice. Soon after, Amazon rescinded her promotion and refused to transfer, 
transfer her from a department that she characterized as a hostile work environment. She fell into a bout of depression that lasted until ALU's wind lifted her spirits in April. The light bulb went off, she said. They didn't know I'd unionized before. She and the other Garda World security drivers had won a union drive in 2010 with the security police and fire professionals. Garda World, I believe, is a, um, they drive the armored trucks. So she went to a Teamsters training in Georgia on unionizing Amazon, but she felt its emphasis was misplaced on organizing contract workers who drive Amazon branded vans. Well, that's not too much of a surprise because Teamsters faced, uh, focused on the people who make things move. But she says, if you try to unionize them, Amazon will cancel these people's contracts, she argued. You have to unionize the warehouses and negotiate some kind of terms and conditions for these drivers because you're going to lose on that other end. Yep. She said the Teamsters advised her to focus on list building, identifying leaders for a committee, and building a base of support before going public with a campaign. We've talked about this before. They don't want you to be exposed as one of the organizers. They want you to do everything covert. Mm -hmm. She disagreed with that strategy too. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Look, this facility is too big yep. to be covert. It is a building of 4,000 people. I can't throw a rock and hit three people I know. You're in a station isolated all day. You can barely walk around and go pee. In order for me to get what you're asking me, I need to be out there. So she started a lone wolf campaign, like Chris did. Standing outside the facility, handing out flyers was a way to plant the flag and draw workers towards her, but the union busting was swift. Managers started targeting workers who seemed sympathetic. Meanwhile, Amazon had set more strenuous rules, preventing water breaks, dinging workers from missed productivity targets, and time off tasks. Workers were fed up, and they should be. Their first walkout again was on September 14th after a worker passed out from heat exhaustion, and their second was on October 11th. So again, a clandestine approach Adame and his striking co-workers from the delivery center in nearby Buford piled into a van to meet Robinson and her co-workers as they walked out during Prime Week. We're in the same fight, he said. We walked out, you walked out, let's celebrate together. Hell yeah. This is what we're talking about, worker solidarity. However, Adame says they're trying different strategies. Quote, I would attribute the difference to where we work. The Ametrist facility is a fulfillment center employing thousands of workers. They can be a bit more direct because it's harder to communicate with other workers. They're taking an aggressive style to organizing and announcing their walkout plans, which is probably the only way to organize a fulfillment center. That's what, Matt, that's what happened to Matt, and he got retaliated against. He says, I trust that they know what they're doing. They work there. Well, they do. They're fighting for the other workers, and I hope that they don't get retaliated against. By contrast, again, the workers in DGE9 are keeping things as clandestine as possible. Well, sorry, guys, we're blowing the lid off of that. Yeah. At the delivery station, we have a lot of leverage, he said. So we're being diligent about, the, about building the committee so we can delay freight and affect Amazon's bottom line. Again, hurting their money is the only thing that they hear. Influenced by the collective Amazonians United, which has chapters across the U.S. and Canada, the Buford workers have adopted a solidarity union model. 
That means they're not pursuing legal union recognition anytime soon. Instead, their focus is on workplace collective action. This is in line with what we talked about with the guys over at in North Carolina. This is in line with what we talked about mm-hmm. with Matt, Matt Cusick. And I believe he might even run Amazonians United. He's great. Knowing the terror campaign that Amazon would unleash if you certify an election, the union busting, the captive audience meetings, having a shop floor solidarity union is one way to overcome these hurdles to a traditional strategy, Adami said. He's absolutely right. We would love to add to unionize Amazon formally. We just know it's going to be a tough battle, and we're committed to setting the stage so one day we can make that happen. Yeah, you've got to get collective, like kind of solidarity and everybody agreeing on, again, not just what we're against, but what we're for. Agreeing what we're for, mm-hmm. as Kwame Ture famously says. Thank you. Shout out to Brother Colin. Okay. He appreciates Amazonians United for its strategic vision, which prioritizes delivery stations as a critical link in the supply chain. Yep. Since delivery stations are part of the last mile and only employ about 100 employees, they're a very good place to organize and bring coworkers together and affect the company's bottom line delay-free. Yep. That's the only way to get the company's attention and be taken seriously. Um, that's what Starbucks, that's how Starbucks has been effective, in my opinion, is the smaller organizing. 15, 22, 35 workers that are, or, that are voting to unionize in these Starbucks locations. The problem is, well, is are, you, I mean, not to not to poo poo your opinion, but this is a little like, I mean, it's it's a hundred employees at a facility that then is is solely responsible for like the peer to peer, like it, it freight yeah. wouldn't get to places if they shut down. Oh, you know, correct, correct. It's like a you know, it's it's a cog. It's, it's literally those like location, it, right? It's literally like like you're sticking yeah. a gum in the works, uh-huh. Okay, however, yep. here's somebody in in Amazon Joliet, okay, MDW2, the Amazon workers organizing there at the Crosstalk facility are getting support from the United Electrical Workers back worker center warehouse workers for justice. They filed 50 yep. equal opportunity employment commission complaints to date and collected 700 signatures on their petition. Well, that's good. How many workers are at the facility? I don't remember what the number was, but it's thousands. They need oh, to get yeah. more than 50% to, to have an election. Panetta Baker has worked at Amazon for six years. Before this, she was a certified nursing assistant. And at first, she liked the pay bumps that Amazon would give out for attendance and meeting productivity quotas. Great. Right, but despite her contributions, quote, I've trained over a thousand people easily, she says. The raises stopped. This is a policy intended to get rid of long-term employees to prevent what Jeff founder Jeff Bezos has characterized as a march to mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. right. But what it means is that all the executives and the people who hang around get massive bonuses and pocket all the profits while all the workers keep getting rotated around and never end up getting raises and never getting lifted out of slave wage poverty. This year, Baker got a 60-cent bump to twenty ninety per hour after six years. Her co-pays and premiums have been increasing too. And besides the money, it's the safety issues, the racial slurs, the nitpicking supervisors do, the changes on a whim. Gross. MDW2 workers worked, walked out in May to protest what 
WWJ called racist death threats scrawled on bathroom walls. God, I didn't even hear about this Jesus. one. Wow. <clears throat> we still see masks a lot, said another worker. Why? I thought it was that people were concerned with COVID and the flu. No, it's actually people with asthma who are concerned about the dust in the air. There's a lot of issues you can face at work, but not being able to breathe? Mm-hmm. You go through life, you work through these types of jobs just because you want to make a wage and provide so many products that people need, and you can't even do it with the dignity of knowing what you're going to be able that you're going to be able to breathe. It's the worst place I've worked," he said. "Wow," and he's tearing up as he says it. God, that's just heartbreaking. And he works nights. You go in, you work ten hours, you go home, you get to sleep. You don't get much more opportunity to do anything else. And before you know it, you're back to work the next day. At no point can you have meaningful conversations or meaningful rest. This is something that we've talked about extensively for months and months and months and months. Not just at Amazon, but at Nabisco, at Lay's, at Kellogg's. These factory workers that are working 70, 80 hours a week the train workers that have 33 days off a year. Sometimes the grueling conditions zap his confidence that winning is even possible. He says he has his doubts about this fight that we're partaking in. What if it's all in vain? What if we can't get meaningful change for ourselves, even if after, even after all the struggle? But I see things like today, and I get a lot of hope. We need some... Um, and that's a fun thumbnail that we're going to do next, but organize, unionize Amazon, break up Amazon, you know, the NLRB, not just the NLRB, but also um, the Federal Trade Commission needs to step in, really. I mean, honestly, they, it's, it's brutal. Um, they literally squeeze people, squeeze companies and industries out. And become the sole dominant player. It's brutal. So, what do you do? Not really sure what the um, answer is. Light yet. a match. Light a match. Yeah, and then they'll move facilities. That's all. Uh -huh. They'll just open another one tomorrow. They got a trillion yeah. dollars. You know that. That's. I got a box of matches. I, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> I mean. They got Pinkertons you and know. cops and judges and all kinds of people in their pocket. Um, they have literally the yep. former White House press secretary as their chief PR spokesperson. Um, of course they do. Of course they do. The Obama administration. Um, yep. Fun oh. times, everybody. Fun times. So um, there are and, two and other we stories. Gotta, we got to hope that a corporate union saves them. All right, Big Mac Crab's going to yell Bye. at me, and I probably should have invited him to come on and talk about this story because I still don't know what the hell happened with Blink-182, although apparently they were charging exorbitant amounts for their tickets. But we're going to talk a little bit yeah, about... Like $500 fucking dollars. Yeah, like serious? I remember that much. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, dude, okay. it was ridiculous. It was like four fifty something like that. Yeah. Wow. I remember okay. seeing it and being like, holy shit. And it wasn't even for, like, good seats, dude. It was like... Standard stadium seating, you know. See now, like, damn green screen, blacking out all my all my money that's filtering down because it's green behind green. 
Yep. I figured the black story it looks brick. it looks artsy that way. I figured the black brick would fix it, but yeah, it does look kind of artsy. Okay. Anyway, Mm-mm. so what's going no, on? Ticketmaster works. getting away with it. Yeah, we we know. We know everybody's used Ticketmaster. Anyone who's gone to a concert, anyone's gone to a ball game, and their fees are ridiculous and and they scalp themselves like it gets it's it gets worse ridiculous. here. And and we're gonna so rather than read an article, John Legume over at Popular Information, who writes amazing articles that I highly endorse using uh going over mm. subscribing. I'm a paid subscriber, popular information. It's five bucks a month or like fifty dollars a year if you buy in bulk. But he's also on Instagram, and I love what he's doing on Instagram because he's taking like a series of what look like tweets, and I think they're tweets, and he's basically doing it in a tweet thread screen capping them and putting it into a 10 image Instagram post, which I screen capped each post in, in, in each image in the post. And I figure we'll run through it. And this is just a summary of an extensively long article that goes much deeper into what they're doing here, but it gives you a good overview as to what's really happening, which is what we probably should be doing here anyway. So how Ticketmaster gets away with it. So, how does Ticketmaster get away with charging fees as high as 75% of the ticket price? And I haven't seen this, but apparently they're doing this. You can trace it back to the DOJ's decision to let Ticketmaster merge with Live Nation back in 2010. Live Nation. And the DOJ's refusal to enforce antitrust law ever since. So, Live Nation, of course, the world's largest concert promoter, used to be Ticketmaster's largest customer. Then, in 2007, Live Nation decided to drop Ticketmaster and launch their own ticketing service. Ticketmaster finally had a real competitor. After Live Nation's entry, Ticketmaster's share of the primary ticketing market dropped from 83 to 66%. That's substantial. Live Nation had a 16.5%. Then, the two companies proposed to merge. The merging of the two companies that control almost all of a market seems like a red flag. But it was worse than that. The merged company could use Live Nation's relationship with hundreds of popular acts, like Miley Cyrus, to pressure venues to use Ticketmaster. Use Ticketmaster. Mm -hmm. The DOJ decided to approve the Live Nation and Ticketmaster merger anyway. The only meaningful condition was a promise that the merged company, Live Nation Entertainment, would not, quote, retaliate against any venue that considers or works with another primary ticketing service. Which there is none, first of all, and second of all, yeah, right. And here you go. <clears throat> Live Nation Ticketmaster now issues tickets under Ticketmaster. <clears throat> they manage venues under Live Nation, and they represent performers under Live Nation. These started to skyrocket. On its website, Ticketmaster emphasizes that its fees are split with clients like venues and promoters, which they also own because their clients are often other entities owned by Live Nation Entertainment. They're inside double dealing and charging you the fees for it. Sons of bitches. Ticketmaster also entered the secondary ticket market. Did they buy StubHub? I believe they bought StubHub. Giving it an incentive to follow to allow scalpers I'm hearing some background noise there. Purchase the allow uh, the bulk of tickets. Okay, so they're allowing scalpers to purchase the bulk of tickets for live events so it can collect another round of fees when the tickets are resold. 
You see? Yep. <clears throat> and the DOG, the DOJ soon learned that shortly after it approved the merger, Live Nation Entertainment began violating the terms of the agreement and retaliated against or threatened venues throughout the United States. What a surprise! But according to the Justice Department, venues throughout the United States have come to expect that refusing to contract with Ticketmaster will result in the venue refusing receiving fewer Live Nation concerts or none at all. Contracts. Yep. Concerts. Yep. They don't get they don't get the acts. So basically what the DOJ yep. did in response to this, nothing. It did not sue to unwind the merger. It did not impose a single dollar in fines. It simply extended Live Nation Entertainment's obligation to not retaliate an obligation that they've been ignoring for a decade already. Thanks, mm -hmm. dudes. Okay? Another slap on the wrist. Like, it's literally them ending fucking, please stop. Wait, what, what happened? All of a sudden, you, know? you got you got fuzzy. Your voice got fuzzy. Your mic got... What do you mean got fuzzy? Your mic got digital. I don't know. Um, anyway. Um, why did so, it... Why did that turn on? I don't Weird. know, but... Unsurprisingly, the DOJ's actions did nothing to change the status quo, as we know. Can Ticketmaster continues to dominate. Fees continue to go up. I'm hearing every sip. There really is no competition, and if there were, venues are afraid of what would happen if they leave Ticketmaster. Okay. Live, live Nation, I've, uh, you're now not live. Live Nation Entertainment has continued to consolidate its market power, purchasing a competing ticket startup founded by a former Live Nation executive called Rival, and acquiring three leading international ticket and event companies. Goddamn. What? Yeah. That's cool. Welcome to Monopoly 2022. Again, there is a much longer article at popular.information or popular.info. It's a substack. One of the best, one of the original, one of the biggest substacks there is. Love those guys. And Judd is a uh, one of the best writers out there. Um, though he's got some some Libby takes. Um, he also has been awesome at finding the money, following the money, and maintaining keeping corporate accountability or what they say they're going to do when it comes to donations. And I'm always a fan of people who follow the money. Uh, I believe, yeah, we have one other story, which was shared, I think, even by Big Mad Crab. I don't remember who shared this, but we've got uh, one more. Are you, are, are you back now? Is your mic working better? Yeah, it's been working fine. No, it, oh my it's God. Just a voice changer somehow turned on. You're totally overmodulated right now, and you sound scratchy and terrible. But okay. I think you have your headset on too high. I have my headset on like thirty, but that's okay. And I have you on like a hundred on user volume, so I'll turn you down a little I, bit. I don't know. That's a little. I think better. people were saying I was too quiet. You were too quiet. I was too quiet. That's a Bismarcky bit from. All right. Uh -huh. Anyway, last last thing, and this now you're hitting the right. The right numbers, the, the right levels, which is just in red on Discord Zoom. So, okay, I got one more. Now you're better in my headset. Now, private equity parasites. Yay. We love those. Again, I love this. Shout out to Crab for the thumbnail. Rick says it sounds good. Oh, you said you were blowing out, like I said. 
But now I've got your Discord thing yeah. here. Let's bring you back. Weird. Now we're now we're better. Anyway, anyway, thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. Like I've, I've not changed anything. That's what's crazy. The closer you, know? you get, the closer you get to your mic, the the more blown out you get. So I don't know what's happening. But yeah. Something, something weird. I mean, is going I tried on. to adjust. Something weird's going. Whatever. On we're good now. Okay. I think you just got a little closer. But anyway. Anthony, what's going on, bro? Uh, Oz, shout out to Oz. It's Oz o'clock. We sing it every night. It's Oz o'clock. Now we can clip it. Um, okay. All right. Private equity parasites. This one's a quick story. We're going to get through this fast. What's going on here? Private equity is set to loot Albertsons with, ahead of its proposed merger with rival Kroger. This is literally like how the parasites suck a company dry, pay themselves exorbitant fees, leave the company holding the bag, and walk away going, bah, 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 nothing we can do. We got we to gotta go bankrupt now. Sir Burris Capital Management, they actually used to own Chrysler Corp at one point. The private equity owner now of Albertsons Grocery Stores is quickly moving to extract an unusually large amount of money from the grocer that would leave Albertsons in a much worse position to repay the massive debt load put on it by its private equity owners. This move puts many of Albertsons workers and their pensions at risk. Well, this is the whole merger of like Kroger and Albertsons, right? Well, yes. Just days after both yeah. Kroger and Albertsons announced they would merge on October 14th, Albertsons board of directors proposed paying shareholders $3.7 billion in a one-time special dividend. Okay, this is really crooked. So therefore, this unprecedented special dividend is scheduled to be paid on November 7th. By the way, if you own any stock in Kroger or in Albertsons, I suggest you buy it tomorrow because it's to, to shareholders on record as of tomorrow. Regardless of whether the merger is successfully completed or not, they're going to be paying this massive payout to shareholders. The merger will likely face significant antitrust scrutiny given that Kroger and Albertsons respectively make up the fourth and fifth largest grocery chains in the country. Of course, the FTC has not really been stepping there, you know, stopping shit from happening, even though uh, Matt Stoller has a hard on for Lena Khan. Thinks that she's great. Sir Barris is able to enrich itself in this way because it effectively controls the board of directors that approve this special dividend. Following its 2006 acquisition of Albertsons for $350 million, which initially was a way to acquire the grocer's real estate on the cheap, Cerberus has been able to install two of its executives on Albertsons' board of directors. The board of directors is clearly conflicted that this $3.7 billion special dividend, especially because the chief executive officer of Cerberus, Stephen Feinberg, is also the largest shareholder in Albertsons, with nearly a third of the company's total shares. Which means that he is the beneficial owner of all of Cerberus's shares through his stake in Albertson's Investor Holdings LLC, which is invested in Albertson's stock. He is therefore expected to receive again, if you do the math, a $1.04 billion windfall on November 7th because of this $3.7 billion special dividend. <laughs> right, he just gets to print money. He just gets to hand himself, like literally a... A third of the money that's sitting in coffers of the company. Loot the entire company and pay it out to himself because he owns a third of the stock. Really? Cerberus's funds had previously collected $374 million for Albertsons through fees and dividends from 2013 to 18. 
Other executives, Chan Galbado and Scott Willey, who sit on the board of directors, separately own much smaller stakes directly in Albertsons. Okay. Meanwhile, the company... Meanwhile... I love hearing that. The company and its 290,000 employees, many of them union members, will have to contend with the $6.55 billion in debt that still needs to be repaid. For context, the $3.7 billion special dividend represents nearly 56% of all the debt outstanding, and it's going to pay shareholders rather than the debt. Albertsons also reported in 2021 that its pension plans are underfunded by a shocking $4.7 billion. So they could also use it to fund their underfunded pension, but they're not doing that either. They're going to give it to their shareholders, to people who don't already need it. Sadly, this sort of playbook is where private equity firms extract dividends and real estate away from grocery chains is not new and has led to numerous bankruptcies that, farm, that harm workers, shoppers, and communities, as we saw with Fairway Market, Southeastern Grocers, A&P, even in my area, Tops Markets, and others. We also yeah. saw it happen with Kmart and Sears. Worse, continued mm -hmm. concentration in the nation's grocers hurts everyone by driving the price of food higher and is a major contributor yep. to the broader increase in inflation. The number of grocery stores declined by 30% from 1993 to 2019, while the four largest grocers tripled their collective market share during that, that same time period to 69%. 69, dude. Not a good 69. Nice. Allowing the fourth and fifth largest grocery chains to merge would only empower the combined company to drive the price of food even higher as people have even fewer choices to shop around for their basic needs. We're fucked. Yeah, I, I agree. Yep. Mr. <clears throat> so that's what I had for this week. You uh, always question everyone's motivations because I never stopped doing that. And uh, Reef always likes to say... Give us one little birds have to tell you, everyone... Good night. I think I liked it better being blind When I couldn't read between the lines And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowed pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue But they both bleed us so dry both bleed us so dry My favorite songs don't hit the same way I get to the end of a four minute track And I'm only looking back thinking What did they actually say? So I try to